Music plays a substantial part in many of our lives, doesn't it? A lot of us will drive and listen to music. We listen to music as we're working out or as we're doing yard work. Couples have their song and people have their album that they just go to for encouragement or to be reminded about something good from the past. But you know, we've discovered something about music, and that is music isn't simply for our enjoyment. The God is hardwired into the human condition, this thing about music that it's actually for our good. Studies have shown that music can help children who are experiencing some fine motor skill delays, that music can help war veterans who are struggling emotionally, that it helps people with anxiety and depression and even eating disorders. So it isn't any surprise then to find out that a key element of worship involves music. It involves us gathering together, singing songs, telling God about who he is and what, he, and what he's done. And in doing that, well, it's for our good. You know, our theme for this year is Hope for the 757. And one of the ways just to bring a little hope and to inspire hope is to sing, that often music brings hope. We've noticed a couple other things about hope, though. Through this Exodus story, we've seen that hope begins with a burden, that hope conquers fear, and that hope dreams big dreams. Well, at this point in the Exodus story, the Israelites, they don't have to dream about freedom anymore. They've tasted it. They are now free from Pharaoh's clutches. They've escaped Egypt, and so they sing. But the song they sing, it's kind of surprising. It might not be the song that we would sing today. As we enter into this next movement of hope, this idea that hope pays any cost, I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song that the Israelites are singing. We're going to read the whole chapter, Exodus chapter 15. Let's go ahead and dive in. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts were cast into the sea, and his chosen riders were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its full of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall overtake them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now the chiefs of Edom... Dismayed, trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of, your, because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For in the houses of Pharaoh, 
with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out with her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water." You know, it must have been a sobering sight for the Israelites to look back and to see all of those Egyptians, these strong Egyptian soldiers just lapping up on the coast of the Red Sea, just sinking like a stone down into the depths of the waters. I mean, what a powerful reminder to the Israelites that they never could have come through all this without God's help, that his provision made a way for all of this to happen. And so they begin to sing. They know that God has rescued them, that he has provided and secured their freedom. And so they sing. And the focus of the song is on, at the beginning anyway, what God has done. Just who he is and what he's done. And you get this graphic portrayal of what God did to rescue the Israelites from the Red Sea, from Egypt, and the destruction that would take place for the Egyptians. I mean, the details in this song, they are specific. The imagery is vivid. I mean, you can almost picture the Exodus just unfolding right before your eyes as they sing this song. In the song, it makes it clear that God was responsible for all of it. Moses isn't saying, hey, look what I've done. The people aren't praising Moses. They recognize this is all God. He's secured the freedom. He's made this happen. He's the one who provided a way out. He stepped in. He did it all. I mean, you listen to the lyrics. It was God who hurled the horse and the rider into the sea. It was God who threw down his enemies. It was God with his right hand who shattered the enemy. It was his breath that he blew back the see it was all God see all praise songs magnify God for who he is for what he's done and for what he will do all praise songs do that and so this is exactly what's happening here but you don't hear many praise songs do you that kind of highlight this aspect of God the God you just shattered your enemies God with the blast of your nostrils with this fury that you executed this judgment against them you make the you made them sink like a stone in the sea See, a lot of us, we have a hard time worshiping God for his wrath. But understand this, every aspect of God is praiseworthy. 
Every detail, every aspect, everything about God is praiseworthy and it all causes us to love him more when we rightfully understand him and his character. And so God's wrath reveals that God is so holy that he cannot allow, would not even be right for him to tolerate sin. And so Moses, he understands this. And so he sings this song along with all the Israelites. They praise God for the Exodus. Not for the Exodus just in general. Hey, God, thanks for getting us out of Egypt. No, but for the specific events that happened. The death of the Egyptians, how it happened, how they sank. This demonstration of God's divine wrath. They praise him for all these details. The Lord is a warrior, the song says. that This is a holy war that God has executed against Egypt. That, and understand this, that in God's anger, he doesn't sin. That none of this was wrong, that God was right in doing all of this. In fact, it was good that he did all of this. God's divine wrath is always righteous. It's never just this vehement retaliation. It's never just God kind of flying off the handle and saying, all right, let me kind of retaliate against them. This is, this is what they're going to get. It's never God just venting. God's wrath is always a manifestation of his holy anger against anything or anyone who would defile, destroy anything that he has made, any, any aspect of his creation. And that's exactly what the Egyptians have done. They've defiled, they've destroyed his creation. They've marred it, they've twisted it, they've worshipped false things, they've, they've destroyed his creation. And so this is his judgment exacting against them, his wrath coming against them, and it is good. And so Moses and the Israelites, they worship him for this. And they will actually say that his wrath executed against the Egyptians... It's a demonstration of God's holiness. More than that, it's a demonstration of God's unfailing love. That this is a loving act of wrath that God executes. Why? Because it demonstrates that God is a God who's faithful. That God is a God who will keep his promises. That they, when God makes a covenant with his people and says, Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rescue you here. I'm going to bring you to a land of promise. That he doesn't just say, Well, you know what? Things would be messy if I did that. All these... Uh, false pagan uh, God-believing people over here. We don't really want to hurt their feelings, so we're just going to let you keep suffering in slavery. No, no, that in God's perfect love, that he executes this divine holy wrath against the Egyptians, not simply for the Israelites, yes, that's important, but also in an attempt to wake the Egyptians up and help them to understand there is only one true God. And you can go through all of life. You can have a happy life here and now worshiping all these false gods. But if you do not understand, if you do not know and have a relationship with the one true God, you've missed it all. You've missed the purpose of life. So this is all an act of love. It's, it's, it's ugly, it's messy, but it's still loving. And so based on this, the Israelites will then sing that, God, and you're going to bring us into freedom. You're, you're going to stand up against any of our enemies, whether Edom or Moab or in Canaan, whoever. You're, you're going to secure that promised land that you've told us about. You're going to bring us there, that they sing all this. See, anything that follows is not going to be just random acts of violence that God's going to execute. No, it's all divine wrath in conjunction with the promises and the covenant that he's made with his people. It demonstrates God's goodness. 
I know it's kind of hard for us. We, we look at this and it, it's kind of difficult for, for us to really wrap our minds around. It even makes us feel a little uncomfortable. But I want you to understand this. Here at Central, we don't just kind of sk skip over or gloss over maybe some difficult passages or things that make us feel uncomfortable. No, we want to explore those. We want to understand those too, because we know this, that the more we understand God, the more we know of him and his character and who he is and what he's done, the more we'll love him. And the more we love him, the more we'll serve him. The more we serve him, the more we'll talk about him. The more we talk about him, the more we'll grab other people to come along with us. The more we'll make disciples and do the very thing we're called to do. We also understand this. That if we do decide to skip over those portions of scripture, or those aspects that maybe make us a little uncomfortable at first blush, that we will end up with, the, with a weak circumstantial faith. That we'll begin to worship this caricature of God, but not the true God as he is revealed in the scriptures. And one of the aspects that we know is praiseworthy of God as revealed in the scriptures is his wrath. Even as sometimes as difficult as that is for us to understand. Because we see in the scriptures that God is holy in his wrath. And at the same time, he is patient and he is generous in his love. Unfortunately... The Israelites, they're going to come, become just that exact type of people, a type of people who simply have a weak, circumstantial faith, absent of a relationship with the one true God. Yeah, they're singing now, but they're singing simply because they're free. Paul's actually going to talk about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He's going to tell us that the Israelites and the way that they acted, well, it just serves as a warning for us. I want you to hear it. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 11. And Paul writes this. For I did not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did, and they were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. The Israelites, they had sung this great song, but for many of them it was just a song. It was absent of a relationship with the one true God. And Paul says that their example, everything that happened to them, well, it really serves as a, a warning for us because most of them missed it. Most of them had this weak, circumstantial faith. Why? Because they had this idea of the way things ought to be. And when that happened, they were happy. But when it didn't happen, when things got tough, when things became difficult, well, they turned into grumblers and complainers and then later even worse. The Israelites, they had just come through this Red Sea and they've sung this great praise song. 
But all of that was about to change very quickly. Moses, he's leading them, and their first stop is in the wilderness of Shur. Now, we understand that Shur is along the eastern border of Egypt, and it's a very desolate place. It's really kind of like a wasteland. There's not much vegetation there even to this day, this barren place. And you can just imagine. I mean, you've just come through all this, and now you end up in this wasteland, and you just, you're feeling the heat of the desert, and you're feeling the sandy air whip against your body and your lips are chapped and your feet are aching and what you really want is a drink of water. But for three days you haven't found any and then finally there it is, water. God has finally provided. There's water. And then you can imagine the people at the front of the line, they, they run over to this pool of water and they kneel down and they, they make a cup with their hands and the first guy takes a sip. And then he shouts back, hey, nobody drink this. This water's not safe. It's bitter. It's going to make us all sick. We can't drink it. I mean, the Israelites, they thought, finally, we've got some rest here. Finally, water. And then nothing. They can't drink it. You just have to stand there and look at the water that you can't drink. And for them, well, that's kind of like the last straw because they've been already been wandering around for three days and they begin to grumble and complain against Moses. They say, this isn't fair, Moses. This water's no good. What are we going to do? What's God going to do? Come on, Moses. Why do you take us here? You know, Paul, he writes and he says, don't be complainers. Don't be grumblers like those Israelites. Their example is a warning to you. A warning, even when times are tough, even when things are uncomfortable, even when life is hard, that we don't grumble, we don't complain. Grumbling is bad. And one of the reasons grumbling is so bad is because grumbling observes God's provision without any appreciation. Did you catch that in the story? Oh, the Israelites, they, they won't water, they're complaining against Moses, and then Moses... He, he prays. I mean, they, com they complain, and Moses, first thing he does, he prays. And God says, hey, Moses, you see that log over there? Why don't you go pick it up and throw it into the water? And the people are watching this, and they must have thought, well, this is the strangest solution I've ever seen in my life. And so Moses, he throws the log into the water, and the people probably let Moses go first, right? I mean, what's a log going to do? Okay, Moses, you take the first drink. We don't want to get sick. Moses probably goes over and takes this drink. Hey, the water's sweet. It's safe. You can drink it. See, God, he's trying to teach the Israelites, you've got to look to me. If you will just trust me. He even gives that command to them. If you will just trust me, if you'll just listen to my statutes, to the rules that I'm giving you, I'm giving you rules for life. I, these aren't just rules that kind of put burdens down on you and to weigh you down. No, they're to lift you up and to ins inspire you so that you can live a deep, meaningful, rich life here and now. This is what God wants for the people. <laughs> but the people, they, they don't want to trust God. They're still looking for human solutions to everything when God has in mind to do this divine thing. And so they're complaining. But the water is sweet. They drink. But you know what they don't do after they drink? We have no idea here. We get no indication that the people ever praise God for the water. No, they just thought they deserved it. Understand, grumblers, they observe God's provision without any appreciation. And that's why it's so bad. I mean, it is ungratefulness. Why? Because we have this idea that we are entitled to certain things. That things ought to be fair. And when our idea of fairness is met, well, that's just the way things ought to be. 
But when our idea of fairness is not met, well, then we grumble and we complain. Well, that's not fair. Look at them. That's not fair. Look at them. We play this comparison game. You know how Jesus reveals God in the scriptures? Jesus gives a couple parables about God that are almost shocking to us. He talks about God paying these workers. And these workers work various hours. Some work all day. Some work only for a couple hours. And what does God do? He pays them all the same. It's not like the guy who worked all day got more money. No, he paid them the same. And then Jesus tells another parable. He tells a parable about how God gives people talents. But he doesn't give people talents equally. That he gives some people more talents, some people less talents. Hey, based on how you do, we'll give you even more. But he, he, they don't even start off on the same level. And we sometimes have a hard time with that, especially if you're a grumbler and a complainer. Why? Because you like to play the comparison game. You like to, we like to look around and say, that's not fair. They got more than I do. This not, we, everything should be equal. Understand this. When, when we look to God and we do say, you know what? Instead of focusing on each other and playing the comparison game, I'm simply going to look to God. When we do that, something incredible happens. We understand that life is not ownership, life is stewardship. And when life is stewardship, this deep appreciation happens because we recognize, God, this is all yours. I mean, you've given all this to me to steward. You've given me this time. I mean, I don't, we don't complain about the days, oh, everything's so bad. Look what's happening in the world, in our country, whatever. No, we're not like that. We're not complainers. We're not grumblers at all. We look at this and we say, God, you handpicked me to be a part of this generation? Wow, what an incredible privilege that I get to redeem the time here and now that you would choose me to be a part of this. We look at our skill, our talents that God has given us. We say, God, you've given me this? I mean, I didn't just happen upon this. Yeah, I work hard. I try to develop. We try to develop the skills that we have. But we understand that God gives them to us, that they are his, and we get to steward them. All of our treasures, anything we've got, our homes, our vehicles, the, our bank account, whatever it may be, that all of this is ultimately God's. We don't take it with us. So how do we steward it here and now? And when we understand life that way, well, we stop playing the comparison game. We just, there, there becomes this deep gratitude, this deep appreciation that the God of the universe would entrust us with this. See, the Israelites, they miss all that. They're looking around, they're saying, I don't have that, I don't have that, we should have that, this would be right, this would be fair. And so they're grumblers, they're complainers. And then when things do go well, well, that's just the way it ought to be. You know, if things are really amazing and everyone gets drowned in the Red Sea, well, hey, then we'll praise God. Understand that grumblers, they observe God's provision without any kind of appreciation. There's no demonstrated appreciation from the Israelites. In fact, in the next two chapters, I mean, the, the grumbling and the complaining will intensify even more. I mean, these are some ungrateful people. But to these ungrateful people... God continues to demonstrate his grace. It's incredible, you know, at this point in the story, God, he makes the water sweet for them. He gives them this, really, this statute. Hey, you got to trust me. You got to listen to me. You got to follow me. I want what's best for you. But the people don't. There's no appreciation. Oh, thanks, God. Thanks for looking out for us. Thanks for giving us some, uh, some rules to live by, some guidelines to make life great. There's no appreciation at all. And 
you almost feel like if you were God at that point, it's like, well, why don't you guys just want to lead yourselves then? Just see how that works out for you. I mean, maybe you can go a month without water and then, then we'll see if you're willing to follow me. God doesn't do that. In fact, what God does is he brings them to this oasis, the Bible tells us. That this place where all these springs of water are there so that they can find rest and refreshment. Why? Because there's going to be some more trials ahead. And there's going to be some more tests and some more. Hey, and at that time, are the people going to look to God? Are they going to appreciate him for how he's leading and how he's providing? Well, sadly, the answer from most of them is going to be no. Now, a lot of us, we can identify with the Israelites. Maybe you struggle with grumbling or complaining. You need to know that God takes that very seriously. He doesn't just look at it and laugh. Well, that's kind of cute. You know, I understand why you're complaining about that. You know, that's just you. You like to complain a little bit. It's all right. Now, God takes that very seriously. Paul says that many of the complainers in Israel, that they were killed for it. That God executed his judgment against them because of that. And Paul says that is a warning to you for how seriously God takes grumbling and complaining. So how do you get beyond that? So this is a struggle. This is, a, this is something you're wrestling with. How do you get beyond that? I want you to think about Moses again, okay? These people, they complain about Moses all the time, right? I mean, it seems like they're always like doing a 180 with them. You know, one moment, hey, Moses, you're this great leader. We respect you. The next moment, Moses, why'd you ever come to Egypt in the first place? We were just fine without you. You know, one moment they're singing with Moses. Yeah, let's sing together and praise our God. The next moment, Moses, why'd you lead us out in the wilderness? We have no water. What are you going to do now? And they're always just flip-flopping. Understand, it must have been hard for Moses. I mean, how difficult would it be if you're leading two and a half million people who are constantly complaining about you? I mean, your popularity rate is next to zero. They all want you gone. And, and th these are the people you got to lead? I mean, I'd be thinking, ah, oh, I'm, I'm out. I just, they can lead themselves. I'll, I'll go back to Midian. I'll, I'll go to the promised land by myself. We'll see what happens. I mean, I don't want to lead these people. That's not what Moses does. But don't think that Moses was unaffected by it. No, remember again, up to this point, every time the Israelites complain against Moses, do you know what he does? He prays. He goes to God. He says, God, what are you going to do? I didn't think this was going to work, but what's going to happen? You know, God, how am I going to provide water? What's the solution here? But there's this constant dependence upon God. And that's what we need to do. Whether you're a complainer or a grumbler or not, all of us, we need to have this constant dependence upon God. We must develop a constant dependence upon God. That the moment life is hard, that the moment life is difficult, the moment that we don't know exactly what we ought to do in any given situation, we go directly to God. That's what Moses does. He doesn't go to Aaron and say, Aaron, what do you think? He doesn't go to his sister Miriam. Miriam, what do you think? He doesn't go to, well, let me just get a group of people together here. No, he first goes to God over and over and over again. He has this constant dependence on God. How do you develop that? Well, you remember what God has done. You got to tell the stories. You got to sing the songs where you just rehearse. God, you've done this. You sit around your dinner table with your family and you talk about, hey, this is how God's provided for our family. This is what God's done in our family. This is how he's shown us his goodness, his, his love, his protection. You talk about it. You, you remember what God has done. 
And then you also practice thankfulness. You, you practice being thankful. Where, where, you, where you have those times, maybe in your impact group, maybe in your, with your family, where you just say, hey, what are you thankful for about God? What characteristic or attribute of God is really important to you that really speaks to you, that really encourages you? And you share those. And then you spend some time in, in prayer with God where you're not asking him for anything, where you're simply saying, God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you've done this. You practice thankfulness. And as you practice thankfulness, you begin to develop this dependence upon God, a constant dependence upon God. You know, when the Israelites sang that song earlier, for many of them, it was just words. It was, it was absence of any real relationship with the one true God. It was just a circumstantial thing in the moment. But for Moses... Well, Moses meant every word of it because he knew God. He had developed this constant dependence upon God. And in that constant dependence upon God, God had formed in Moses' heart hope. And one of the things about hope is hope will pay any cost. And because Moses hopes in the one true God, well, he'll be willing to pay any cost to lead his people. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good God. God, forgive us for when our hearts tend toward grumbling or complaining. Forgive us when we view life as ownership and not stewardship. God, we thank you that you have chosen us for this time, this generation, that you've given us these gifts, these talents, these treasures. May we steward them well and lead others to love you and serve you. We need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.